right, welcome everybody to the City Brew Tours Beer Club uh, live stream and podcast. Uh, welcome everybody. It is me, Jonathan. I'm your host once again, coming to you from Brooklyn, New York. And of course, I have a co-host this month, as I always do. And not only is it a good beer drinker that I love to hang out with, but also another beer vendor. Bit of a trend we have here. Uh, bringing all the beer vendors in to have some beer together with all of you guys and selfishly with me as well. Uh, how's it going, Mike? Good. Nice to see you, Jonathan. Hello, everyone. It's been a while since I've been in the uh, live stream of here at City Brew Tours, but I've never left. I've always been here with y'all. You're all you. You're never. What is it? You're always a stone throws away. Is that a phrase? Well, I'd like that. There it is. I I don't know all these like new old uh sayings. New old sayings. New old sayings. You're close. You're always close. Um, but uh we are experiencing a new city, exploring a new city this month. Uh, and that's Spokane, Washington, which is great because Mike, that's on your side of the world. Uh, it's not too far from you. Well, it is far from you because the West Coast is really big. Um, that's like saying that Vermont's not, well, I guess Vermont isn't that far. But, you know, other places aren't far from the East Coast. Um, so we're going to be enjoying some really, really good beers. We have eight fantastic beers in the box for you guys uh, from four fantastic breweries. We will be enjoying two of them tonight. Uh, we will be enjoying the uh, flavor nuggets uh, from Lumberbeard. And we will also be enjoying the Purple Egyptian from Grain Shed. Uh, yes. We, you know, before we talk about Spokane and all the fun things, I'm getting thirsty, which I imagine you're getting thirsty. So let's let's crack open a beer. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, let's crack open that flavor nuggets from Lumberbeard, which I just love their logo. It's mm. literally just a Lumberbeard, but with hops. That's, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Gotta have the beard. You gotta you gotta have the hops, of course. Oh yeah. That's it's also popping out of my can, so I gotta be careful with this. All right. This is gonna be classic. And please pour along with us, folks. Oh yeah. I know I know we don't have to convince RJ and Jonathan very, very hard. They're always pouring along if they haven't already cracked open this beer. There's some really good beers in this box, so it gets a little little hard to to wait. Uh orangey color here. Yeah, this looks not reading as much on screen, but do the hand i i taught uh glenn this uh last month uh like you know like all the instagrammers do you know oh there you go yeah that's a little better the okay. uh we're gonna taste it yeah yeah let's say let's go for it that is juice yeah that's yeah nice oh, nice very nice hazy all right rj thank you for pouring along with us i know it is for some that have been part of the City Brew Tours Beer Club for a while and all the iterations thereof, you may notice that on the pamphlet, uh, there are only two featured beers uh, due to the holidays and due to you know scheduling over the next few months as well. We will only be doing one City Brew Tours Beer Club uh, live stream and podcast each month moving forward, but 
that doesn't mean that we don't have plenty of things going on. Uh, I know we also tonight uh, have a lot of individuals listening and joining on um, the for the Happy Hanukkah that's happening literally right now. So those that are listening to this in the future, we already were past that, but you know, we do have the Happy Hanukkah. But for those looking forward, we do have the 12 Beers of Christmas coming up starting on the 25th, actually. Um, it's always confusion about that. Uh, well, I guess we could say happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Uh, but uh, there was a question in there. Who's doing with, will be with the blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So we will have different people joining on with the 12 Beers of Christmas. RJ will be there. Yeah, he's saying. yeah, RJ will be there. I will be there a few nights. And some of our other hosts that we've had on the podcast and the live stream, including Tom, Chad might make an appearance. Not sure. We'll see. We'll see who's there. It's going to be a surprise. It's going to be 12 days of just giving. Uh, which, Mike, speaking of Christmas, because yes. um, I love segues. Uh, I am in charge of the beer this year. Oh, that's a good one. That's a that's a very important job. Yeah. Um, you know how Bing Crosby is like, you know, known for Christmas music because of White Christmas and everything. Did you know he was actually his hometown was Spokane, Washington? You know, I did not know that. Yeah. It's a fun that. time. Yeah. You know, so Spokane's not, you know, Bing Crosby, Christmas, beer, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. Um, Spokane also has uh I always, you know, I'm always doing research on these cities. I didn't know that they had the second largest urban waterfall. I don't know where the first is and what an urban waterfall is. Uh, we will have a guest from Spokane, from Grain Shed when we crack clear, it all this up. clear all that up. We'll, we'll ask Teddy where this, what's going on with this urban waterfall. Uh, Cause I feel like that's some, something that we need to kind of investigate. So, uh, other couple things, you know, they also have, they're not only known for beer. Spokane also has 20 wineries, which is oh, 20. Yeah. Which is a lot. Sorry. I'm just, I'm just drinking this beer. I can't get enough of this beer. Well, I mean, I'm getting that Yosemite Falls is the largest w- waterfall. It may is not it be the largest urban, urban waterfall. That's the question. Well, the we'll thing see. is, I only have what's the second largest at Google, and it is the one we're speaking of, Spokane Falls. Oh, so Spokane. maybe. Spokane, Spokane is what we're saying. Yes. Spokane. Spokane. Um, it is very um, common where people want to say Spokane. Spokane, yeah. It's not. No. No. Um, think of it as like uh, Worcester. You know, Worcester Mass. Yeah. It's the same. Actually, you don't have a glass from Worcester tonight. Oh, nice. It's almost like I know these things. Yeah. Worcester is is spelled Worcester. Worcester. It's, no, it's Worcester. 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 Or here in New York, we have Houston Street, the Houston Street. We really do. Yeah. And you have to. That's like we have to learn that on the first day. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you have to learn. It's not. It's not Houston, which I grew up in Texas, so I'm like, oh, that's Houston, and everyone's like, no, nah, no, nah, that's Houston Street. But I'm apparently, day, oh, sorry, my first huh? day in New York was uh, we. I, I went to school and it was right at Houston and Broadway. So luckily, oh, I nice. Right. So you figure that out pretty quickly. Yeah. Apparently that was just a, um, that was from a misspelling, like a typo. 
that it was supposed to be H-O-U-S-T-O-U-N, uh, which was Houston. Houston, yeah. But they took the second U off uh, by accident. They typoed it. So now it's still Houston. Yeah, yeah. See, the more you know. And we're not even... You are an urban waterfall of knowledge, sir. Yes. I, you know... Uh, oh, Houston County, Georgia is also pronounced like the street. So it's also Houston. So there you go. See, the more you know. Are mm-hmm. there... So, Mike, you're not too far from Spokane. I mean, you are far. But have you have you ventured up there? Have you learned anything interesting about Spokane, Washington? I uh, yes, I'm in, I'm in a place called Fresno, California. For the record, uh, you know, formerly lived in New York City for a long time, but uh, it's actually uh, 986 miles north. So not that's a, not that, that's not not a that bad. That's drivable. Anything less than a thousand is that drivable? Yeah, is exactly. that your... it's like, oh, it's gonna take too long? A uh, thousand. So, but anything under so nine hundred ninety nine. That's that's yeah. fair game. But so yeah, thousand. After this, uh, uh, well, you know, Spokane is the lilac city. If you didn't know that, I did not know that. So that's they just right. have a lot of lilacs. That's my presumption. I mean, it's a beautiful flower. <laughs> and so it's it smells nice. Um, it's a great I beer don't... town. Lots of breweries. Uh, one of the one of the beers we have in our box today, the No Lie. If you ever, if you guys take a look at that, it's considered the first craft brewery in in Spokane. Really? What year did they? Uh, I just have to continue to uh, think about it. And, th- and think about it. We can also go. Uh, I, we're going to have an expert here in a minute that will be able yeah, to answer the, all of this question. Um, but for anyone that hasn't been to Spokane, um, you know. We are featuring some very, very good beers. So we do have Grain Shed, which we will have here in just a few minutes. And Spokane is known for having uh, sustainability and being a very sustainable town. And so Grain Shed, which is a highly sustainable company and brewery, of course, we had to feature them. And then No Lie being the the first as well. And then of course we got those fun ones from Lumberbeard and um and our and our other friends over at Iron Goat uh throwing in some really really fun beers in there. If anyone has tried any of the beers, let us know in the chat. Um also let us know in the comments on which beers out of the box you are enjoying. Uh, I know it's really really hard to wait and so I'm sure hopefully everyone waited on the two that we're having tonight but if you didn't let us kind of let us know like and tell us have you yeah, have you snuck in any of them mike yeah i just remembered uh lo- lo-fi uh lo-fi no-fi brewing is uh actually this they, they started in 1993 so that's a that's a oh that's, that's a good start yeah been around for a while yeah so they really so are. that's that's right around the start of you know major craft brewing uh, in the United States. So they were ninety three. Then you the first have wave. yeah first wave because then you have right around that time Anchor would have been around that time right right around then. Adams um, was uh, earlier than that, and um, and then Brooklyn would have been ninety six. So right around there as well. So yeah. really the beginning. I mean, and of course, it makes sense in Washington and on the upper West Coast, having all of that access to all those hops. Yeah. And that's really where they all are growing now and were growing then, uh, ever since the 1800s. 
um, when New York kind of lost all their hop fields in the 1880s. Um, so everything was growing in the Yakima Valley, which we have featured Yakima before. And of course, you have to get all your hops there. So that makes sense that especially, even though we're drinking a West Coast brewery, we're having a New England IPA, which seems a little, it seems a little off. Um, they ain't growing those hops in in, uh, in Western Massachusetts, uh, I'll tell you that. No, 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 no. I mean, you can get some of these hops over in, uh, you can get some of them in New York, but with these ones specific. Well, and in, in the, if you're going to get hops in the United States, it's it's upwards of 95% of all hops. Are Which is from, insane. From the three states, but uh, of Idaho and Oregon and uh, Washington, but mostly Washington. Mostly Washington, yeah. And mostly that one valley, which is insane. Yeah, yeah. But it's always fun because I'm I'm really bad at geography. And I know it's all on the same latitude. And then I'm like, is that actually Germany? And we're, and it is, it, like it is, mm-hmm. but it's just, it doesn't make sense to me. Because um, I don't right. think Washington and Germany is in the same climate, but they, they obviously are. Um, let me see. Some of our, some of our guests, we're drinking some of the other beers uh, from the box as well. Uh, the Sonora Wheat from Grain Shed as well, and of course we're going to be we're going to be having that Purple Egyptian here in just a second because Mike, I'm already getting through this beer very quickly. <laughs> Where to go? I don't. I honestly have no idea where it's going right now. Uh, it's going very, way too quickly. Um, what is your what's your favorite hop? Because like when you have a hazy like this, obviously you're getting mostly the aromas, mostly mm. the citrus. Um, just you know because you're not boiling as long, so you get those nice aromatics. But is there a hop that you prefer? I do like uh, Citra. It's kind of old school. That's good. I mean, it's not like old, when I say old school, I mean like, oh, that's so 2009 or whatever. Like, you know, it's not that long ago that Citra was popular. <laughs> I used to get beers from Burlington Beer Company. Shout out to uh, Burlington and Vermont. Yeah. Um, and they used to do a single hop series and their single hop series was fantastic. Um, and so I used to drink the, the mosaic they had. They had a Citra and they would go through each of the hops. Um, Mithra was another one. Oh, that's a good one. And just, just, I love a beer that showcases one hop so you can really get to know it, you know, like, not that I don't like the blends, which most of them are, especially the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, New England style IPAs. You do see a lot of blends of, of hops and the West coast, you see some of the more traditional ones. Mm. Uh, there you go. RJ's got it here. Citro, Motueca and Eldorado. So, so that's that same thing about Southern hemisphere. I think Motueca is a, Australian or New Zealand? New Zealand, uh, I believe, yeah. And they have that same geographical area of the world where they can grow hops. <laughs> well, even uh, Guatemala can grow hops. It's not common, but there are a few Guatemalan hops that are really, really great. Just even though they're outside of that latitude, mm. uh, the climate is just right that it's very, very similar up in the mountains that you get... Um, I don't remember the name of them, but I know I have had them. Um, I'll remember in a minute. I know I'll you remember. You get one of those Guatemalan beers now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they. you can get some really, really 
good hops even from like the southern hemisphere um well and new zealand has fantastic hops you have the matuka you have the waimea hops uh even now rock the rockatau or because there's two that start with r and i always get them oh rawaka is one that i really like rawaka and then rockatau i think it's rockatau yeah. which is r-a-k-a-t-a-u that's actually the um i believe that one's also from new zealand as well it's yeah i had a single hop beer from other half brewing in in uh old brooklyn town and it tasted like straight cantaloupe i mean it was like it was it's wild I, was, I couldn't believe it there's you know what teddy's helping us and, weighing in here that's good you know what i'm yeah, gonna i'm gonna get teddy in here teddy is the brewer over at grain shed and you know i might as well we're, we're gonna bring him in we're gonna bring teddy in we're gonna have teddy help us out with these hops and introduce our beer as well welcome well, welcome Hello. teddy there you go Rakao, not Rakatao. Rakao. Yep. Rakao and Rawaka. Rawaka is, man, you gotta you gotta pay out the nose to get some Rawaka. It's uh <laughs> you can't get it. Honestly, most people can't get it because it is such a hard to grow beer or hard to grow hop. And it is or is it just is just it just a, a hard it just doesn't like it doesn't grow. grow super well. It's a oh. fairly uh, a brewer and pouring a terrible pour right now. So nobody watch that. Um, uh, you're listening to us talking about you're like, well, these guys are beer experts. Oh, no, guy. you guys are crushing it. You guys are crushing it. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, Rawaka, extremely expensive, extremely good. Um, but yeah, it's not a it is not an easy to grow hop by any means. So it's very limited um, in its quantities. And down in New Zealand. Not down in New Zealand. There you go. See, I'm really yeah. bad with geography. I'm like, New Zealand, is that down or is that up? I mean, I want to say you know, down. I always want to say It's all down. perspective. It's all it perspective. It's a globe. Well, hopefully we have no... It's not flat. It's a globe. <laughs> uh, on that note, let's crack open that second beer. Um, Teddy already was pouring his. I'm cracking open mine and it's just like the other one. It's jumping right out. Uh, we are jumping in because I actually did just crush that first one, which is probably a bad decision, but also a good decision. Uh, but this is the Purple Egyptian. Uh, Teddy, why don't you just, while we have you, since you brewed this beer, uh, what are some of the notes that we're looking for on this one? So this is going to be a pretty straightforward beer as far as uh, recipe and everything like that. You're uh, uh, no aroma or dry hopping or anything like that. Only enough, only enough bittering hops with Columbus just to like cut sweetness um, and make it palatable. But it's going to be really clean, um, and it's going to have a lot of. I to me, I get a lot of uh, uh, grape nuts and dried apricots. So a lot of dried fruit, dried apricots specifically, and grape nuts, you know, that that delicious uh, breakfast cereal, which is the purple Egyptian barley that is the focal ingredient of this beer. So you get some nice bread and like crackers and things like that, but nice, super clean, simple beer. Wow. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't know. I mean, maybe simple, but I mean, it's, it's got complex flavor, though. Mm. Sometimes it's it has the a lot going ones. on. A lot yeah. going on in I definitely get the grape and the and mm -hmm. the the, um, the the dark fruit. I get that on the on the nose mm -hmm. as well. But the, the taste is just delightful. Mm, yeah, it's very a pretty special beer. It's pretty unique. It's pretty different. Um, so the 
the story behind this beer and the kind of reason that it is what it is. So we are a, a cooperative, the Grain Shed is, and we are a farmer worker cooperative. So one of our founder founding members with me is a, a farmer named Don Shireman that grows purple Egyptian barley, which is this uh, old, it's called a land-raced grain, mm-hmm. which means that it develops characteristics based off of where it's grown. So that grain is purple Egyptian barley. Um, it actually grows purple in the field, um, like blackish purple when it gets through its main growing phase and they start to dry like most grains that are grown do. Um, it actually looks like the field's been burned out. It's pretty amazing. It changes to this dark purple black color. Um, so it's black in color out of the field. Um, and this is very, very simple. It's kind of a unique grain. It is a, uh, it's called a self threshing grain. So kind of like normal wheats, the, the, the husk will just kind of come off on its own, um, which is a little bit different. Um, and it, it just has these crazy flavors, tons and tons of fruit, um, really a little bit different than what you'd normally expect for uh, from, you know, just your standard barleys or wheats and everything like that um, has a lot of flavor, which is really unique and why we designed this to be just a very clean, very simple beer. Um, but these grains kind of just highlight what they are, because um, this is not a thing that you get everywhere um, by any means. So, no, yeah, no, it is. No, it's it is very simple, but sometimes that's what you need, right? Just yeah. something very yeah. nice, very simple. You are showcasing the flavors of that grain, which I think is fantastic. And I do get that grape nuts, and it's always hard because I I grew up eating grape nuts a lot because yeah. uh, that yeah. was I had a lot of grandparents, and that's what they yeah. had. Um, Absolutely. And so anytime I have a beer, then like oh grape nuts, and everyone's like looking at me weird. I'm like no, yeah. but that that's barley like it's what it is um or sometimes if you get a beer that has like the same flavors as smacks or like golden um what's the other one golden Golden grams pops pops golden crisp pops smacks all those um because those are all like either malted barley or have malted barley flavor uh to them and so you get like that caramely and all so i always like bringing those up i'm like oh yeah that brings me to that nostalgia of that totally. cereal. Um, but my question is about the purple, the, like the Egyptian purple grain. If it yeah. brings on the flavors from like the ground and from the nutrients, um, does it, if when you brew these, this from batch to batch, does it taste different yeah. from season to yeah. season? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they're, uh, a lot of like thinking about commodity brewing and things like that. The, the goal is consistency, right? You know, you Budweiser is supposed to taste now the same now that it did five, six, seven years ago. Yeah, <clears throat> We don't care about that. Yeah. Um, as long as we are consistently creating a product that is high quality and things like that, having variation in flavors because of, of um, environmental and growing conditions, that's great. We think that's the coolest thing in the whole wide world. Like, a, you know, terroir and wine is a really big deal beer is just as much an agricultural product as wine is right so we very much want that to be a, kind of a focal point so actually and let's see if does it have it uh yeah so on your can it will actually say down there 2021 harvest so we do right. denote when we can this beer what year what crop year um, the barley was from because 2021 in in um, the palouse was different than 2015 in the palouse when it was yeah. you know huge 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 hot fires you know terrible mm-hmm end of days sort of deal um so we do get a 
we get a different product when we have different crop years. Um, and so the other piece with us, uh, we are a 100%, pretty much 100% craft malt based brewery. So instead of buying things from Brees and Great Western and Gambrinus and Wehrman and things like that, we are using a local malt house for um, oh, cool. pretty much 100% of what we uh, use um, that isn't roasted. Our malt house doesn't have a roaster. Um, so everything base grain, everything, you know, even through caramel malts pretty much is, is from Link Malt in the Spokane Valley. So we also have that as a little piece of variation too. Would they get some differences batch to batch? Um, we get some differences um, from crop year to crop year and things like that. And, you know, I'm always kind of tweaking things a little bit too. But uh, yeah, we definitely do get variation from year to year and growing seasons uh, has a huge impact on it. Yeah, of course. Um, having grown up, I grew up in the Midwest. I actually grew up in Indiana. And with that, um, corn is like, that's what they grow corn but then they also switch every other year with soybeans to help with the nutrients but that's all about creating that consistent flavor the consistent product and so knowing that how that works with barley and other grains and you guys are just like we're just going to go with it and just kind of accept that fate of what's happening each season also living here in new york apples change from year to year sometimes they're really good sometimes not so good depends not on so the rain yeah um so and like obviously you see that with cider uh but i think that's one thing that a lot of even craft breweries because they get grains from those you know sometimes it's hard to get grains and sometimes it's hard you want to brew a specific style and the specific um just a specific beer as as a home brewer you know i get specific stuff for specific styles as I'm doing it. And, but when you're just like, I mean, we're going to get this locally from, you know, this one farm from this one maltster and whatever they have, that's what we get. I think that's amazing. Um, obviously that does create consistent, not consistency issues, but does create those kind of fun fluctuations um, Variation. so my, variations. Um, so my question is as a brewer, how do you personally kind of adjust to these variations? Because sometimes you may not know till late in the brew process, um, as to how these grains are reacting or interacting with your ingredients. Um, so is there something you look for before, you know, in each phase or is there, or do you just go with it? Um, yeah. So specifically, um, you know, our, our farmer, Don, that grows the purple Egyptian, he grows a couple of other grains. So actually purple Egyptian is about 60% purple Egyptian and 40% of a barley called Scott's bear. Um, because purple is a self-threshing grain, it doesn't have those husks that you need in the brewing process or as many of those husks as you need. Um, Scott's bear does. Scott's bear is another really cool land race grain. Um, he also has Sonora, which uh, you guys have in your boxes, um, is a is a really fantastic white wheat. He also has a red wheat called um, Red Russian um, that they are all different and they all interact differently and grow differently. Um, and we then have to make adjustments year to year um, and or at least, yeah, when we when we have new batches from different crop years coming through and and generally what I will do is just kind of run my normal recipe. We get what we get and then 
knowing that with subsequent batches, we adjust as we need um, and and see where we're at. Um, if we need big changes, we make big changes. If it's just small tweaks, we make small tweaks. Um, the biggest things that we generally run into, though, are um, with these specific grains, with the land race grains, are differences in extract. So sometimes, uh, you know, they these are uh, they are not the sexy race car of grains. They are, you know, the really old, nice classic cars that are really cool to look at, but they don't go very fast and they don't aren't big performance things. So we generally have to use higher quantities of them per batch than we would with more traditional um grains um so that being said we generally just run what our normal recipe would be for a batch and then we may come in you know half a percent of alcohol lower or sometimes half a percent of alcohol higher and things like that so you know when we're doing things in cans it it makes it a little bit more challenging because we generally will hold off on creating labels be, until we can confirm what our alcohol contents are because we do have some legal requirements for being within a range Mm -hmm. um, so that's one piece that we do interact with. Um, but really, for the most part, it's just kind of we get what we get and and kind of love that piece of it with these grains. The other grains that we use that are more um, more standard barleys and wheats, um, we run into fewer variations with. We definitely do still get some year to year differences um, based on. But but it's much less. Um, we we run into some things with very dramatic different crop years as far as weather goes um spokane in our area specifically the palouse where all of this grain is grown um over the last 10-ish years has been experiencing huge portions of fires um hot 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 summers tons and tons of fires in the palouse in the forests around us and things like that so with that we do actually run into some issues just as the hop growers do right there mm -hmm. there are oregon has gotten has had some pretty bad hop harvests over the last five six years because they've had smoked out uh hop yards that they just mm -hmm. can't use um so we do have some things occasionally if we do get uh, a couple of years ago we had a summer where we had 10 straight days over 100 100 degrees some of them mostly most of them were over 110 degrees like it was really really difficult and we had really really low heart low yield harvests that year so that was one where we all kind of all of us that are using a lot of these craft uh craft malts had to like okay we're gonna change from genie genie barley to buzz barley part way through and make some adjustments there and whatnot but for the most part those are a little bit more stable as far as what we get the nice part is our malt house does do um analytics on every single batch of malt that they run so we are able to see um okay what is the what is the uh, lab-based extracts that they're getting the protein contents the um diastatic powers and things like that so we're able to get a lot of information just off of um, data sheets um which is helpful it doesn't always transition and translate to what we're doing but um it does help that's right. awesome great answer yeah no that that's amazing um Probably a lot more long-winded than any of our guests were expecting, but I yeah, sorry I guys. It. No, 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 no. This is what this is why we're all here. Um, Listen, we have guests on that you say you ask a question like that, they go, "Oh yeah, that's true." Yep. <laughs> no, that's Perfect. great. No, we we like, we um, love these answers. <laughs> um, no, that's yeah. I mean, that made that all makes sense. Uh, and what is the size of your brew house? Mm, um, so we are a ten-barrel brew house. Okay. Um, 10 barrels um and yeah so we have three fermenters six bright tanks oh nice. kind of, uh, so we are in a uh in a 
fairly famous building in Spokane um, called the Steam Plant. So downtown, um, it was a truly an old steam plant. So if you look up photos of Spokane, you'll almost always see the steam plant. Two giant smokestacks go about uh, probably 400 feet in the air, maybe maybe not quite that big, maybe 300 feet in the air. They're they're large. Um, you always see the, the, the steam plant. So uh, God, I think that this brewery was put into the steam plant maybe 20 years ago, maybe not quite that long. Um, and at the time of COVID, the company that owned the building uh, decided to, to sell it, liquidated all the brewery that was there, um, was no more. And we're like, hey, we would love to lease that that brewery and that space from you. So we've been there now for about three years. Um, actually, maybe just two years, two and a half. Um, so we're, we're there. We've been there for a while now, brewing. And, uh, you know, learning a new system is always fun. But it's uh, that's been a been a nice home for us. So Yeah, I was just, looking at, just looking at the photo of it. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's then, a pretty beautiful place. And I know that Grain Shed is not just a brewery, that you guys are also a bakery, and basically, however you can use grains, you guys use them. So right. how does that cross-translate? Like, How much of the grain that you guys use for brewing goes to baking and vice versa? Or do you guys just keep it separate and do your own thing and still just like source it all sustainably as possible? Yeah. So, I mean, sustainability is a big portion of what we do in general. We are a, a B Corp. Um, and so a big portion of our B Corp certification is uh, sustainable sourcing and things like that. So um, bakery and brewery, um, bakers don't use a ton of barley. Granted, our bakers use a lot of purple Egyptian barley, actually. It's a fantastic food barley. And so they use it sometimes raw or sometimes unmalted, but they actually use majority malted. So that's kind of a nice thing. So what you're drinking, we use in a bread um, that is our most popular bread. We have brownies that are 100% purple Egyptian barley. Like it makes it into a decent bit of baked goods. Um, but we do have, uh, you know, we as ba as brewers use a decent bit of wheat as well. So our... Um, we uh, use a lot of the red Russian wheat that our bakers use, a lot of Snorra wheat that our bakers use. Um, we both use a spelt uh, called Elwha River Spelt that was developed down at WSU in Pullman, Washington, which is about 60 miles south of us. And so we uh, we do have a lot of transition and crossover um, there. Uh, you know, a lot of people when we open and, and still we have people like, oh, do you guys use the spent grain for, for your baking? You know, make spent grain bread? And like, no. We do our jobs as brewers. The spent grain is terrible, and it's great <laughs> for feed for animals and, and fertilizer. But there's no sugars left. There's no flavor left. It's just fiber and cellulose. But the animals love it, so it's great. Yeah. Um, and so we, you know, we have a farmer that comes to pick up all our spent grain. He feeds it to his chickens and his pigs, and uses it as a fertilizer. It's great. But um, yeah, so our our bakery does use uh, majority locally grown grains. Uh, actually, a big portion. Um, and we actually stone mill a good portion of our own flour as well. Probably about 80% of the flour that we use. We have a giant 39 inch or 42 inch. I can't remember, um, stone mill from actually talking about Vermont, new American stone mills out in Vermont that, that made it. We've had it now for five, six years. Um, well, probably actually longer than that because this was before we opened. Um, so yeah, so a lot of a lot of uh, shared ingredients, not shared space. When originally when we did open, um, we actually had our brewery. We were brewing off of a ten gallon Sabco system, like a uh, uh, Dogfish had started with as well. Um, 
quickly upgraded that to their one and a half barrel system. And that lasted for like four brews at our bakery before we were like, this cannot continue. This is, this thing produces too much heat for this small space. It's just not functional. Went and went, uh, shared some space with another brewery friend in town. Um, and now, yeah, we're, uh, we're kind of, kind of just separated out as far as space goes, but yeah, we're a bakery that does uh, our, all of our breads come out of a wood-fired oven, which is kind of a, another different thing um, that we have going for us, all long fermented sourdoughs and things like that. But we uh, share a lot of things. We have uh, a restaurant now up in North Spokane. We have um, uh, all the stuff. Uh, we have a tap room downtown as well. So just kind of working on growing slowly and i'll let you take a sip for dramatic pause because you've been talking a lot um so yeah with you guys have a tap room you've gotten this new space that's much larger you've you got the bakery um and so as the brewery obviously you guys are growing you're trying to use utilize as much as many local ingredients and just continue to keep that sustainability but also you know keeping it local fresh best quality um i mean i can attest by this beer that i'm having it's very very crisp clean you taste you taste that purple egyptian grain you taste the sweetness like you don't have to get even though i'm loving the ipa that we had earlier that's like lots of hops lots of flavor everything and then this is complete opposite which is what i love about it is just it's so nice sweet refreshing crisp but still a lot of complexity. Um, so I'm assuming you have the background in brewing, kind of how did you get involved with Grain Shed or did you just one day wake up, I'm going to start brewing for, I'm just going to start brewing and start with Grain Shed. Um, kind of what's been your journey through this? Has it always been in Spokane or kind of how, how has this progressed? to where it is now yeah you know i am a spokane native so was born and raised here spent some time in seattle and things like that but have been back now for a long time no so i my brother-in-law and i and he's one of the other founders of the grain shed with me and and uh we started homebrewing in 2009 2010 maybe um homebrewed for a lot of years really enjoyed that and then uh my brother-in-law started a local food distribution cooperative and they looked to add a value added piece in the off seasons and they wanted to do malting. So they, he went to malting school, started the malt house. And when we started brewing with that, we're like, Oh, this is really good. Like we, this is a whole different aspect to brewing. Um, we should look at doing this professionally. So I was working at as, as an elementary school teacher at the time we met our baker, Sean and our farmer Don um, at about the same time Sean was working to start his own bakery Don was looking to have a brewery with his grains and he had no idea how to brew but great let's do this together run it all as one business um, started that uh, we started the grain shed in 2018 um, like I said we were originally on a 10 gallon system brewing you know as much as we possibly could to try and keep up and still only have three beers on most at a time before we got our slightly larger system and just kind of went from there. Uh, I have no formal education in brewing, just, you know, a lot of re reading and trial and error, um, you know, mess up a lot of beer and go from there. But I've now been uh, fully doing this full time for about four years um, that we've, I've been, you know, brewing, but also doing a lot of other just general business managerial things. Um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of brewing. So yeah, I mean, it's just, 
truly a lot of trial and error and looking back at my recipes from four years ago, it's a much different game now than it was then. And uh, definitely making better beer now than I was then. Um, but this recipe has actually been pretty, pretty stationary for a while. This was a, a pretty early find that we absolutely loved because it just highlights what the beer is or what the grain is and kind of let that go from there. I love that for breweries. Sometimes a brewery, you know, does the same thing over, you know, for years and then they go out of fashion. So, I mean, always, totally, always uh, trying things and improving things. I love that. You mind? Uh, the, uh, I was going to ask if when you, when y'all did start out was because you're the grain shed, we're talking about grain forward beers a lot. Uh, a lot of the, uh, see your list. I mean, yeah. the, the hop in the, in the hop craze, especially being in Washington, was it, was it purposeful to sort of go in the other direction, more malt forward beers, or did that just happen because of uh, what you were growing and who you guys are? Uh, yeah, that that's kind of the way, at least it started was, I mean, we really didn't brew an IPA or even a pale for probably a year and a half. Um, our main focus was truly just, we're looking to, to, highlight these unique grains um and now our our access to these you know unique local locally grown grains is a lot simpler which is really great it's a lot bigger we have more variety we also have more um easy to use local grains um which is great the you know purple egyptian is wonderful the flavor is fantastic isn't an easy grain to work with um purple is about as easy as they come as far as these grains go the other three are much more temperamental um so now we have some some easier to handle malts which is great but yeah our, our big focus originally was like well so a lot of people don't know the palouse which is um an area south of spokane and a little bit west of spokane the most productive grain growing region per acre and i believe the country if not the world something like uh 93 of the grain grown in the palouse is exported to um asia Oh, wow. specifically for noodles um and and uh some other some other things uh pretty pretty wild um a huge yeah. noodles cake uh some distilling um pretty pretty wild so much of it goes overseas um and we're like this is dumb we really can't access things from local farms that we know we can go down to the farms we can talk to them but we can't use it because grain has to be malted and and you know mm -hmm. the closest malt house at the time was great western they're like we're not touching it unless we can do the I think it was like 60 ton batches at the time um and our farms are like well i have a five acre farm like <laughs> i don't grow that much in six years i don't know what to do with that um so we're like okay well you know when when the malt house started it made it a lot simpler um that being said we also because of just generally what we were doing at that time we were not as focused on doing hop forward things because we weren't able to work directly with hop farms we weren't able to at that time we weren't able to do what we wanted to with hops that we were doing with grain uh i couldn't go and shake my farmer's hand and say hey i want this um that's since changed uh, and you can look i mean we i think our tap room right now has eight or nine hop forward beers um out of you know it's a pretty decent portion um but that's because we have a really great relationship with a hop farm in uh, Yakima called Roy Farms. Um, they grow some absolutely phenomenal hops. I mean, everything that you could really ever want as far as hops go. Um, and so we uh, last three years have been working um, with them. So almost, I mean, if it doesn't grow in Europe or the Southern Hemisphere at this point, we get our hops from from. Um, Roy, which is really wonderful. So Andy Roy is our our sales guy that we work with, and, and so I'm able to 
call him up, email him several times. We contract out our year's uh, hops from him. Um, we get our fresh hops from him when we do fresh hops. And it's pretty phenomenal. They have all of the same ethics that we look for in our grain farmers and what we're looking for there. I mean, they're a B Corp certified um, farm as well. They grow a huge amount of organic hops for Yakima Chief and things like that. So, I mean, they're they're they do what we are looking for and are, are like-minded and, and fairly priced and their hops are phenomenal. So um, once we recognize that, oh, we can get single origin hops, we, we have done a lot more there. But it is, I mean, that's a big focus for us is I want to be able to know exactly where all of my ingredients are coming from. That is amazing. Um, the fact that you're doing single origin hops, single origin malts, like that doesn't, that doesn't happen really anywhere else um and if it does it's usually like a home brewer which is your background but they're like yeah. traveling around trying to get it and like haggling and everything um totally. but that the fact that you're able to do that and still do it at volume and with multiple beers and styles and i think it's hats off to you because that's that's amazing um i had two questions for you though uh one was what's the hardest grain you've ever worked with uh so the second grain in this is a grain well okay there are two answers the second grain in this is a grain called scott's bear got this crazy heritage it was grown by thomas jefferson and george washington it's just this like has heritage coming out its nose it's wonderful flavors phenomenal our farmer grows it it's grown uh in the palouse on his farm and on the orkney islands off of scotland and it is an enormous pain to work with um in fact i'm dumping a beer probably next week with it because it just didn't perform it just didn't do what it was supposed to do and who knows why but it's tiny it's really really mm. small which makes milling it really difficult and it it's it's really difficult the other one is um another one is actually the sonora which uh the batch of Sonora that everybody got is really great. Absolutely love it. Um, Belgian wood isn't always my style, but this turned out so, so well. That grain is another one that just plagues me and is so hard to work with. It has a, just as a, as a wheats sometimes have a tendency to throw oxygen um, during fermentation and things like that. And oxygen is the absolute devil in finished beer. Um, and so we've had a lot of oxidized uh sonora in our lives which is really really frustrating and um it's a really great grain other than that like it, it's got great flavor it's a, a moderately simple one to use it isn't as uh technically difficult as this as the scots bear but those are the two that are are my are, are my most challenging ones for the most part the other stuff that we use is pretty simple yeah i was figuring that one of the wheats would be involved in there because they're always i've I'm yeah. yet as a homebrew, I only do like, you know, a few gallons at a time. Um, but I'm still like, ah, do I want to do wheat? Because it's it's so uh temperamental at times. Um, but that makes yeah. and it is even at the even at the large scale, it's a pain. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a huge pain. And I mean, we we still to I mean, we've you know, I've been doing this for a while now and still are trying to figure out, okay, how do I adjust the challenges that I have with wheats and spelts and things like that to make it a more functional thing for me to brew with. And it's, I mean, you know, dumping 30 pounds of rice hulls in a batch to be able to, you know, make a high wheat portion of hazy IPA or whatever it is, because it just stops mashes and makes it really challenging. So completely understand. Um, I also do some 
uh, gluten-free brewing because my mm. my wife has celiacs. And so I understand yes. adding those extra holes and not dealing, getting the sugars, um, which actually leads into my second question. If this area, if Spokane's doing so much exporting, especially for noodles, do you guys ever work with buckwheat? And have you, and how did that work out for you? <laughs> I have never actually worked with buckwheat um, for a variety. I mean, we, yeah. you know, are not a gluten-free brewery and we never will be able to be. Um, but that being said, it is, I know a couple of, of gluten-free brewers. Um, Ghost Fish is a pretty large gluten-free brewery in Seattle um, that they use some buckwheat and things like that. And I know it's challenging. I think their main grains that they use are uh, brown rice, um, malted brown rice, malted millet is the other big one that they use. Um, but I do believe that they use some buckwheat. Um, and I think it's, I think buckwheat is, is a challenging one. Um, but it's got really unique flavors and things like that. The actual thing that we've used buckwheat associated things with more, um, one of our friend breweries in town, um, they brew a lot of braggots, which are beers, oh, like yeah. kind of a beer meat hybrid and buckwheat honey is absolutely phenomenal. It is super dark it's got these like crazy like molasses and um like almost dank flavors to it and it's just like it's wild it's really really unique and delicious um so we have used buckwheat honey um several times and it's pretty phenomenal but actual buckwheat we've never used i was just curious that was more of a personal question oh, that yeah. wasn't oh, in yeah. the chat <laughs> just with especially with noodles you know that's a huge part of yeah. um going into um that's what udon noodles um yeah go, yep. go into there so i was just curious because i'm i'm imagine there's a lot of exportation and have you guys ever done a kvass uh yes so actually when we first started um then we were brewing on a small system um did a lot of them we called them the wasted loaf um yeah. because we had you know making sandwiches and toast slices and things like that at our bakery we'd have you know tons of you know heels and things like that great toss them in a bucket made i think 15, 16 of them on a small scale, which was really fun and would just do something like totally off the wall and weird and different every single time. Um, and it was really, really fun. And I haven't done one in a very long time because doing a 10 barrel batch, A, will take forever to sell and B, I just don't have the the amount of bread that it would take. Like we sell all of our bread. I can't have them bake bread that I just toss into a beer. Um, but yes, we would do it all the time and absolutely love doing it. I miss doing it because it was just something totally different and it's the flavor. And we would do it with barley as well or barleys and wheats and things too. just like get it above like half a percent alcohol. Um, but you know, be like two and a half to three and a half percent ABV and Get that nice like sour piece and we sometimes toast the bread a little bit beforehand to like get a little bit more nuttiness and, and things like that it's really really interesting and really delicious i i always love a good kvass and i figured well you guys are a bakery and a brewery it has to <clears throat> has to have had happened oh, yes. um but i've also doing it at scale is not always most convenient. Uh, we yeah. did have a question in the chat a little bit earlier. Um, I know you guys are mostly sourcing locally. Are you guys only distributing locally or are you also in other parts of the country yet? No, or... we are purely local. Um, yeah. Now, that isn't to say that that won't change at some point, but we really are. We are a pretty small, small brewery. This year, I think we'll just hit 300 barrels. Um so really not a not a large um large operation by any means um 
at some point potentially um right now it's just in spokane we're just self-distributing the other challenge with what we do um that makes it a little bit more challenging is that our grains and our our ingredients costs are significantly higher than than most breweries um for our more traditional things, that's changing a little bit. More commodity malts are the prices have just gone through the roof as well. Um, but when we started, I mean, it was normal commodity grain was uh, commodity pilsner was if you were buying large volumes was 20 to 25 cents a pound. Um, and at that time, we were spending a dollar to a dollar 30 a pound. Um, so, you know, we were looking at four to five to six times the price. Now, commodity Pilsner and things like that are up to like 60, 65 cents. We, we pay about 85 cents for our our more standard grains that we use. Um, so it's not crazy different now. Um, but it's, yeah, definitely a little bit of a limiting factor. We cannot afford um, to work with the distributor at this point in time. But as things goes, that might change. Well, and also if you're sourcing locally, the farms can only produce so much. And totally. as you mentioned, they're not producing the 60,000 pounds or whatever, yeah. you know, yep. they're, they're like, I got five acres. Uh, yep. That's all I got. Uh, totally. And they can only do that certain times of the year. Um, so that makes perfect sense. Um, I know we are definitely, we're getting close to our time. I do always want to make sure that anyone, um, on the live stream does have a chance to ask any of their questions. Um, I think we're answering everything. Mike, did you have anything? I, Teddy's just like giving us all, all kinds of knowledge, which I love. No, I think, I mean, it really is, uh, it really is great stuff. And we're getting a lot of comments in our small group here. We're getting a lot of comments for the Sonora wheat, that it's yeah. very special. Uh, Jonathan was just saying, or was it uh, RJ? Is there something? There's something about the Sonora I don't think I've ever had before. Just the way it drank was a special experience. It's a Belgian wheat, so it was uh, Belgian wheat beer. So it uh, Sonora's the focal the focal wheat in it, um, high portion. So you know it's got kind of that weedy chewiness, um, mm. which is really nice. Um, and in true Belgian wit style, it has bitter orange peel and coriander um, and a pretty hefty dose. And yeah, it has some really great citrus to it. has that Belgian wit uh, yeast, uh, like phenolic yeast piece to it as well, um, which isn't normally my my jam, but that beer turned out really, really well. Right on. Nice. The beer I, always are... love, I always love a good Belgian wit. Um, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea because it can be <clears> a little especially wheat as a whole is just a yeah. weird it sits weird on everyone's palate um but no i'm i know i have it i've been eyeing it and i've been avoiding it not avoiding it uh <laughs> saving it saving it um just for a good time um yeah no it'll it'll probably crack open here uh soon um I mean, uh, how is the uh, your you have a good fan base going uh, for for Grain Shed? Yes, yeah, yeah. We do have a pretty decent following. Um, you know, our our beer for sure bakery is is a pretty pretty amazing following. Uh, it really is. Our our bread is. I'll be perfectly honest. It's the best bread I've had in the country. I mean, it is absolutely phenomenal. Even uh, just the photographs, I'm like, I gotta have this bread. <laughs> 
I, I take all the pictures. I actually, I've got that oh, going for me. I, you know, bought That's a camera right. when we opened and learned some things along the way. Um, but no, I mean, our baker is, I mean, has, is an absolutely incredible food mind. He comes from a, a you know, pretty deep pedigree in culinary, in the culinary world. Um, uh, but, and the transition to baking about a decade ago and, and is just, we call him bread Jesus. He looks kind of like bread Jesus. Um, <laughs> and is, I mean, just knows so much and just, makes the absolute best bread that you could ever ask for it's pretty phenomenal um and we have an enormous following with that so very important question teddy last mm. question of the night what's your favorite sandwich on the bread oh yeah. man and I mean, what type of bread you know because this is going to make or break if we <laughs> trust you about all of our other beer questions yeah i mean a thousand percent so we we make a grinder you know nice just like three, four Italian cured meats that are phenomenal that we put on kind of whatever rustic sourdough we're cutting at that point in the day, a deli rye that is, or marbled rye that is absolutely phenomenal. I am, I'm, I, I enjoy some cold cuts, some, you know, capicola, some salami, things like that. We, we smoke our own pork loins and things like that as well. And so, I mean, toss all the meats some cheese, some red onions, some may, you know, herb mayo on there. And I mean, can't really go wrong. I mean, you're on the call with two New Yorkers, even though Mike is on the other side of the country. He's a New Yorker. Yeah. And yeah. so we 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 agree. We agree. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the yeah. grinder, it's hard to beat a grinder. Like yeah. it, and I mean, you know, we're definitely not a New York spot by any means. And it's a it's a little different to like, yeah, give me a grinder That's... any day of the week and I'll die happy. I love it. Uh, yes, we do smoke meats, um, RJ. That just popped up. So we have a, a newer restaurant up in North Spokane um, that one of our chefs operates. That is a bar. So our baker Sean and uh, Jonathan. I think you said you are a Texan. So our baker Sean um, grew up in Mesquite, um, and our uh, chef Victor, who's up in North Spokane, grew up in Waco. Mm -hmm. um so we got some texas boys in 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 our uh in our place so we have a texas shrine at uh the grain shed and uh it's pretty wonderful um but yeah we have a barbecue restaurant up in north spokane yeah 2400 miles we got food for you at the end and beer um and we uh yeah so we got a got a big ass smoker smoker on pork loins and uh you know brisket ribs uh pulled pork wings kind of smoke salsa as well do the do the whole thing and it's pretty great fantastic that is definitely going to be a road trip yeah we're planning a road trip here in the chat yeah i'm spokane it's pretty awesome spokane's great come in the spring too like may if you uh want well we can talk about the falls as well i know that you guys are talking about yeah we were talking about the falls Falls. legitimately there is a river that runs through the middle of downtown that is not a giant river but when you get to about may beginning middle of may you get all of the runoff from all of the mountains that are around, which is right. significant. Right. Like there are, you know, quite a bit. Um, and they just are absolutely roaring. So the Spokane Falls are, and they're tons, you know, hydroelectric dams throughout. But I mean, May, middle of May, beginning of May, they are just filled to the brim. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty amazing, amazing thing. And then the rest of the year, they're pretty mild. They're pretty mellow. But you just, you know, they are roaring, literally roaring through downtown. Love it. So pretty, everybody pretty cool. heard, everyone that's on the chat, everyone that's listening to the podcast, 
May, we are all going to Grain Shed. We're going to get a grinder. We're going to get some barbecue. And then we're going to go see the falls. Uh, I, I feel like this should just happen. Um, I'm looking forward to this because why not? Um, as we are coming to the close, though, we see you brought us full circle, Teddy. You brought us to the falls that we brought in the beginning. You answered all everyone's questions. You made everybody hungry. And so our last thing for you is, is there anything that you want to plug for yourself, for the grain shed, for the area, anything that you want to plug before we say, see you later? You know, Spokane is kind of a, a little hidden gem of beer. There's some really, really phenomenal beer in Spokane. Um, our proximity to Yakima and the Palouse puts us in kind of a pretty pretty nice little niche i mean it you you really have the two main ingredients of of beer that are grown i mean yakima is a three-hour drive from me like not even two and a half hour drive like you're you're within 200 miles of beer growing territory all the way around and it's pretty cool to be able to drive through fields of beer come yeah. come to spokane come to the area pretty dang cool spokane has an absolutely fantastic beer scene both in quality but also in just like it is a very collaborative place, which is really awesome. There's some, you know, competition piece to it, but for the most part, everybody just wants to wants everybody else to succeed. And it's it's a pretty, pretty great place as far as that goes for the beer scene. That's awesome. Um, I mean, I'd, next time I'm on the West Coast, uh yeah. besides seeing Mike, I'll go, I'm going to Spokane. Um yeah. maybe we'll meet as we mentioned, Mike, it's less than a thousand miles. It's a day trip, right? Day trip. Easy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Easy. Uh for Jonathan, it's or for Jonathan and RJ, it's twenty four hundred miles. So that's like a little bit like that's a two weekend day trip. trip. Two day yeah, trip. Yeah. Uh go. not quite a day trip. Um, but no, Teddy, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for your knowledge and everything. These fantastic beers. Uh, I know everybody is loving them. I'm we're we're all going to enjoy them. Um, and then best of luck for everything that's to come. And I think I think this is the time that I hate to say this is the end, but I know everyone's planning a trip to Spokane. So this is the beginning. Uh, this is a definitely see you later kind of portion of the show. Um, for all of our guests that are listening uh, on the live stream and on the podcast, uh, thank you so much for coming. Obviously, we do have the 12 Beers of Christmas still available. Um, so go to shop.cbt.com or shop.citybrewtours.com and we will get that 12 Beers of Christmas. We will see you in literally next week, a uh, couple weeks. We will also see you next month. As I mentioned in the beginning, we will only for the next couple months be having one live stream a month so we will get that out to you we will do have another fantastic city coming your way um a little bit of a private one but don't worry it's uh closer to me a little further from mike so ooh, so you can throw in the comments you can throw in on those chats let us know where you think we're coming from next month and we're gonna be enjoying some great beer here soon. Thank you, everybody, and good night. Bye-bye.